You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Mullins Blitz coming and oh, down he goes. Untouched. Blake Martinez right up the middle on the Blitz and he gets the sack. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the football Grump. With me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Merry Christmas to all of you out there and happy holidays to everyone else. Yeah, ho, 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 Grump. Uh, It's our traditional Christmas special episode where we talk about the Giants not being in the postseason. So, (laughs) hate hate to be the combination of Ebenezer Scrooge and uh, the Burgermeister, Meisterburger, and every other bad guy in every one of the Christmas specials, but here we are. Coal in our stockings, our postseason stockings. It's it's a tale as old as this podcast, you know. It, <laughs> around this time, we start talking about other things. We start looking at the future. We're doing all kinds of fun stuff. Oh, um, yeah. And there's nothing quite like tradition. And it, Lord knows, the Giants love their tradition. So that's kind of the problems with this organization. Is <clears throat> it? It sure is. In, they're too rooted in tradition and uh, you know muscle memory and the way things always have been and that's why we you know this is more like a groundhog day episode instead of a christmas episode you like that movie a lot right groundhog day yeah it's all right i don't know i consider it rewatchable but it's all right <laughs> it's, it's a better movie than watching the giants uh, season reviews that's for sure all right so we know that'll be going on at one o'clock in the link as the Giants go to visit the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday. Um, you know, that's coming up. But more importantly, we have some things that we need to talk about. You stayed up late last night to watch a little bit of the University of Florida Gators play UCF in a bowl game that was about as interesting as, I don't know, this glass well, of water. It's about as meaningless as it, too. I mean, Florida... As everybody knows who follows me on Twitter at the Cranky Fan knows that you know we've fired our coaching staff, we've hired Billy Napier. Um, we expect a major roster purge of a bunch of guys who've been conditioned under a culture of not caring about games that aren't important, and we saw it again last night. Um, what does that mean for the Just Giants podcast? Um, well, I think now we can probably say what you know sources have told me inside the program. That I, you know, kind of believe and trust that uh, Rob Sale will be the next offensive line coach at Florida. Um, they're holding out on an announcement until the season is over, um, but you know it's widely assumed and known. That, uh, recruits have been told, uh, "Don't say anything," but this is who it's going to be. So you know, it's uh, it's a safe bet to say that he was going to be the new O line coach at Florida and will be leaving. The Giants at the end of this season. Now, he previously worked for Billy Napier at Louisiana, right? That's correct. Yes, they yeah. have a uh, they have a working relationship back in the past. Now, see, what's interesting to me is that what I thought was going to happen when Rob Sale came here is, you know, we kind of we had heard this rumor, um, we had made some assumptions, then we heard a rumor, then it was almost confirmed by Jordan Rainon that. That Jason Garrett was very highly suggested to Joe Judge, and and while Joe Judge did interview him and ultimately give the okay, it was suggested to him and not one of his guys. The same way that Patrick Graham is one of his guys, and Freddie Kitchens is one of his guys, and and all of that stuff. Rob Sale 
felt like one of Judge's guys to me. And while he couldn't necessarily control the fate of Jason Garrett entirely, it almost felt like he was bringing Rob Sale in to help fix the O-line and then eventually potentially take over offensive coordinator stuff. That's what it felt like to me personally. I'm not saying I have anything to back that up. It just kind of felt that way to me. It felt like that was a direction that they were trending in. And maybe giving Rob Sale, who's a guy who's never really called plays, I don't think, you know, a year to kind of learn some of that or or something. I'm not entirely sure. But it certainly felt like Rob Sale was brought here as a Joe Judge guy to be here for a while, potentially in a bigger role than just an O-line coach. But if he ended up being one of the the more prominent O-line coaches in the league, then you've won. Because, I mean, those guys, they go somewhere and they shouldn't really get fired because they're hard to find. Um, That's just not going to be the case anymore. And, I mean... Do you think it's entirely just going back to college for him? Do you think it's entirely going back to, uh, you know, maybe a premier program finally? Like the NFL was his foot into a premier college program? Or do you think it's to work with Billy Napier again? What do you think goes into this? I think it's timing for a lot of these things. I think, you know, first of all, when Napier got hired at Florida, he was given a much, much larger pool of money to spend on assistant coaches, um, analysts, infrastructure. So he has a lot more money to play with than previous Florida coaches had to hire his staff. Uh, So I think it's a little easier to lure people away from previous jobs that they've had, whether it's in college or even the NFL. Um, I also, you know, despite what we believe to be true, that Joe Judge is safe, at least for next year, I have to think that Joe Judge is still going to be on a hot seat next year. I don't think he's... Teflon to anything that happens with this with this team in 2022 or beyond. So I think there's a little bit of job security also involved with this too. That just because Judge, we all feel pretty confident it's going to be back regardless of who the GM is. That doesn't mean that he has a ticket for the next nine ten years to be this coach. So I think part of it might have played into job security. I mean this is. You know, Napier's first year of Florida, he's going to get a nice leash with, uh, you know, the the school, the, the, the boosters, alumni, you name it. Um, so I, I, I think that's, you know, those two kind of things are the, the main factors of why he's going. Yeah, I, I certainly don't think, I mean, he's comes here to the NFL, his team sucks right off the bat. I mean, the offensive line he's given to work with is hurt immediately. He's given backups that aren't very good. Um, and his job suddenly is to turn that around. And I mean, I'm sure nobody expects him to just make cake out of dog shit. Um, right. And and let's be and for those of you who don't know and don't probably follow Florida recruiting very closely like I do, he's not inheriting over there anything that's really any better than it with the Giants. I mean, mm-hmm. the offensive line was not very good for the last couple of years. There's hardly any depth. There's been injuries. They can never really establish a, a running game. I mean, Damian Pierce. Remember that name when we get into the combine and stuff? He's a, a going to be a very, very good running back in the NFL that was hardly ever used at Florida for some unknown reason. But he had trouble running the ball. Is uh, he a senior? He's a senior. Yes, he'll be gone. Yeah. Um, quarterbacks that have some wheels and can run never really were able to do much of anything. Just an offensive line that was eh. So he's not going to an opportunity that's really much different from what he's leaving with the Giants. So it, it, this is not a case where the grass is necessarily greener immediately. I mean, he's going to have to be part of uh, a massive 
upgrade in recruiting at Florida, which they really need, and they've they've fallen behind. Never mind, you know, the uh, the Alabamas and Georgias and the LSU's of the world, but they've been falling behind second and tier third tier level schools in the SEC. So he'll be part of that. So I don't know what kind of recruiter he is. Um, I just know what he's done, you know, on the field and with the Giants, which you all know, a lot of it is as much to do with uh, the talent we have and the availability due to injury as much as technique and being coached well. I, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think there's there's no way it doesn't factor into his head that he comes to the NFL. The team is a disaster. The offensive coordinator gets fired in the middle of the year. The GM is on his way out at the end of the year. Everything's a mess. I mean, I I have oh, to man. think that jobs. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Job security has to be a major factor. I don't know if it's the biggest factor. I don't know, you know, if it was it was just to get the hell out of here. I but it, it can't not be a factor. Well, Grump, as you know, in life, everything isn't black and white, cut and dry. It's this reason alone. There's always factors, and different things had to be evaluated. And uh, again, this is not official. Official. There's not been a press conference yet. But again, this is just from what I've heard from within the program that it's it is, it's done. It's basically a done deal, and they're waiting for the proper time to make the announcement. Florida's doing a really interesting thing where. They are rolling out the releases of the names of the new hires, almost like so each thing is a grammable moment. Like usually in a coaching staff is we have a press conference. Here's our seven new coaches. We'll be a couple more hired. But each one has been an event. It's been a something that's all over social media. It, it's something that keeps Florida relevant. And again, if you guys don't, college, don't follow college football as much as I do, this is all about recruiting. This is all about keeping yourself relevant, keeping yourself a buzz among recruits, whether ones you have committed to you and are yet to sign, guys that are interested in you, guys that will flip and decommit and commit with you instead. So this is part of a rolled out plan that Billy Napier is doing. And again, I think the only reason why they haven't done it yet with this hire is out of respect to, you know, Sale and his current job. And, you know, you know, you Hey, coaching is one thing where it's like I'm going to be the coach after the bowl game is over or after the playoffs are over. Assistance, that's not the way it works. It's you're gone, you leave. There's no doing two jobs if you're assistant. So I, I think as soon as our season is officially over, you know, at the final whistle after the Washington game, um, you'll see that announcement that he's officially going to Florida. Yeah, I, I think I think that's exactly when it's going to happen too. But it, it is a done, done, done deal. Um, um, so, you know, that is what it is. They're going to be on the move for a new offensive line coach. It's just going to be another one of our off-season and, things. And, and, Grump, in the grand scheme of things, this isn't as major as losing, you know, your GM or a decision on your head coach or a coordinator. But, again, for the points you brought up that if he was— I think it's, I think it's the fourth most important coach— I'm going to be totally honest. I, I think you go head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and then O-line coach. The O-line coach, as far as position coaches go, I think it might be the only important position coach. I mean, like, because it's so important that you get five guys uniform. It's not you're working on running backs, but there's only really one guy on the field at the same time. Wide receivers, you know, it just doesn't work like that. All five of them have to execute in unison, period. It put- is very difficult. Where do you put 
special teams coach in all this? Because that's something that's always gets a lot of attention and fans are always pissed off about, oh, special team sucks, get rid of this guy. Where do you, where do you put special teams coach in that list? Or do you think it's vastly overrated? Um, or vastly scapegoated more than I mean, I think I think the difference between the best special teams team in the league and the dead center average special teams team in the league is probably pretty close. I, I don't I don't but, yeah. but the difference between the dead center and the worst is is probably a little further, but but I mean I think a lot of that is predicated on bad talent. I mean, and, and I mean at the specialist position. I think like the worst teams in in the league at special teams probably have the worst punter also, or or a very very bad kicker or no kicker. You know what I mean? They've they've been trying to hire guys off the street because whatever happened. I think that's what separates the worst from the average. The average from the best, I think, is such minor little details that might win you a game here and there, might get you some turnovers. You know, well executed special team stuff, obviously impacts the game but i mean we're talking about i listed those things in a very particular order head coach most important offensive coordinator because scoring points is important that's the second most important job defensive coordinator because preventing the other team from scoring points and generating turnovers is important after that protecting your quarterback is the fourth most important thing that's just how i see it and i i mean i'm open for debate but Protecting your quarterback and allowing your running game to work. Absolutely, so, it, that, the offensive line. The offensive line allows your second most important position, which is your offensive coordinator, to do his job. Period. Whether it's run or pass, you need that. So I think it's incredibly important. I think that the really good O line coaches in the league are rare. I think that this is a very important hire that they're about to undergo. Um, I think they had a decent guy in Rob Sale. I mean, I didn't get a chance to really look at him at an NFL level. I'm not going to grade Rob Sale based on the shit show he was handed. I mean, he wasn't handed a bad group of starters. He was handed literal backups. So, I mean, I can't I can't do much with that, especially since and, he's still and, operating and, within the confines of an offense I don't agree and, with. And so. honestly, this offensive line, while it's not a good offensive line, it doesn't seem like the sieve that we feared. I mean – we don't see quarterbacks running for their lives, you know, two out of three plays on a drive. We don't, you know. Yeah, yeah, seen, I mean, yeah, you're right. Inkling of a running game. Now, even if it's not from Barkley, we're seeing Devin Booker actually doing some things. It's not completely impotent. So it's 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 bad, but I feel like it could have been worse. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I think they, they they tried too hard to protect it with really conservative offense. I mean, like max protect, so you've only got one or two guys running a route. I mean, you've got a 50% – I mean, you're, you're killing yourself. I mean, just the amount of – too much trick plays, too much trying to run jet sweeps and, and rolling the pocket out to try and – I mean, way too much, not enough just trusting the much, guys to learn. Too much you punting know. on plays when you probably should go for it. Sure. I mean, yeah. So – and once we saw – them back off, you know, the offensive line and let them play a little bit. It's not it's not good. It's not as bad as we thought. It's not as bad as they feared. Yeah. It's I mean it's it's bad, but by giving them a normal pass set with, you know, one tight end, maybe a running back, you've got enough chip help if you want it, but you've got so many more receivers running routes and you've got good wide receivers that can win and get separation. The ball can come out before the rush gets there. I'm not saying it has to be a quick throw either. I'm just saying your wide receivers are pretty good if you let them play wide receiver and you don't keep them on the bench so that you can get, you know, four offensive tackles on the field and two tight ends. You know what I mean? Right, so. right. 
Whatever. Uh, you know, the, the offensive line coach thing, it's going to be a big part going forward, so I don't want to dwell too much on it, but it is going to be a thing going forward. I, I urge you all to start. For those of you who like to make the Giants your hobby and spend a lot of time looking at things, now's the time to start looking at online coaches you want on your Christmas wish list. Um, as far as the game itself goes, you know, we're going to keep watching these games the way that we've been watching them. You know, we got to look at and evaluate the growth of guys that we know are going to be here. Andrew Thomas, Ben Bredesen, Billy, to some extent, Billy Price, we'd like to see, you know, potentially in a backup role at center where he can fill in for a little bit. Same thing with Ben Bredesen, maybe. Saquon Barkley is here next year. We, I want to know what what percentage of Barkley we'll have. Kadarius Tony's going to be out this game. He's activated off the COVID list, I think, um, but he's definitely still hurt, so he's not going to play in this game, perhaps in the next two. Um, but Aziz Ojolari, you know, guy looking at the current holder of the rookie sack record. Quincy Roche, another guy to really keep your eyes on. You know, Tay Crowder, another guy who's learning a little bit on the job. Aaron Robinson had a short season, but he's jumped in there and done pretty pretty well and Xavier McKinney almost made the Pro Bowl so these are all guys that I you know keep looking at and by the way Leonard Williams I believe is going to play again through that triceps injury the guy's a beast I mean he's got nothing he's got nothing to prove and for all you people back last year who thought oh it's a contract year that's why he's showing out yeah just wasn't true (laughs) Grump I noticed there's one position you did not mention in that roll call of people you'll be watching oh is that uh, Jake Fromm and Mike Lennon Exactly. And I, well, I, because I, I just don't I, believe I that either one is going to be back next year. I completely agree. And again, <clears throat> I think the again, if you are genuinely excited to see Jake Fromm play, that's just more an indictment of just how bad Mike Glennon is and how low the bar is right now right. for passable quarterback play. That's all it is. You you are a victim of you know the mediocrity that we've been watching lately. So it. If he is able to string, you know, a couple of, if he's playing, we this is, we're recording this on Christmas Eve. I don't, yeah, yeah I don't believe there's a starting quarterback announced yet. All right, but I, I, my, my guess is he probably will just because of a. Me too. You know, they want to evaluate for no other reason. I don't think it has anything to do with trying to win or not. I think fans are trying to are intertwining those two concepts together. The what do you else have to lose? I'm tired of watching this badness. That sounds to me like you are still pining for a win more than actual, you know, is the best, better quarterback playing. Look, I'm with you. I This means nothing to me. We've gone over this. If you want to know our thoughts, watch last week's or earlier in the week's episode of, of quarterbacks. But I really – I have no interest and no care about either quarterback playing. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm just going to reiterate, I, I really hope that Jake Fromm is the guy. It would be awesome if our starting quarterback would cost less than half a million dollars. Uh, well, he's not going yeah, to be our starting quarterback. I'm just saying, I, I have no personal hatred for the guy. I know you kind of have like a bit of a bias there because he's a Georgia guy, whatever. I have none. It would be awesome if he's the guy. I'm just being honest. I'm not getting my hopes up. I'm trying to keep your hopes down as well, listeners, not yours. Um <laughs> You know, I I don't think he's the guy, so I'm not getting my hopes up. That's it. At best, he might be in the same role he's in now next year as a third-string quarterback. Yeah, I mean, even reasonable hopes for him to be the backup, I think, are not really there. Well, hey, man, look, if he he, – in the, over the next three games, if he shows out and plays at a point where I'm I'm comfortable with him as a backup, again, that is awesome because it's money saved in a year we have no money. I'm just saying as of today – I don't see that. 
But he has that opportunity to, to elevate that far. He's I don't think he's getting any further than that. Uh, Grump, it's a way too early to ask this question, but I'll ask it anyway because it's Christmas. Do you see, if he looks halfway decent, a, more of a push to have three quarterbacks on the roster last year? And also, do you tie that in with questions about Daniel Jones' overall durability? Or do you think they'll stick with two quarterbacks next year? Or is it still really too early to tell? It's too early to tell, and I'll, I'll explain that a little bit. So it depends on how well he shows out. Um, if he shows out really well, then I think he he's either the backup or he's gone. Uh, as far as having three quarterbacks on the roster, he would have to not show out too much because I think they're not going to do that. I mean, I think they'll keep a guy in the practice squad that they can elevate. And if he's that guy, which I think he is, you know, I don't think he's going to play so well over the next three games that they're not going to be able to keep him on the practice squad. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think he's either going to be the backup because he plays well enough to earn that spot or he's just going to be what he is, which is the practice squad guy that gets elevated if we if Jones is hurt and we got to roll with a backup and, and, and a backup for the backup, then he gets elevated. Or he plays in between there and he's too good for us to keep at where we want to keep him mm-hmm. and not good enough to keep as the backup and he's gone. That's it. It's those three options only. <laughs> Remember, he's auditioning for us, but he's also putting tape out there for other teams. For everyone. He's auditioning. He's, he, every every day is a job interview when you're in the NFL. That's how right. it works. In right. sports. And, and if he plays well, he may gather some interest from teams who also might spend a little more money than we were willing to also. So don't just don't think as you're watching this, if he has a, a decent quarter, decent half, decent game, that, oh, next year, you know, he might be playing himself outside of this organization too. Absolutely. Um, some interesting guys who are not playing in this game for, or may not play in this game for Philadelphia, just as a setup for, you know, as you're evaluating people, keep this in mind. You know, their, their left tackle, Jordan Mailata, has not practiced. He's got an ankle injury, so we'd be going up against some backup level talent there, so keep that in mind. Miles Sanders has not practiced with a quad injury. Um, that's a little bit less. Into, but, but, I mean, Jalen Hurts has an ankle injury, so he may not be 100%. And, you know, if he gets smacked around a little bit in the right way, you know, we may be looking at this game totally differently anyway. So, so there's there's some interesting stuff going on there. <laughs> so to put a bow on this game before we move on and talk about, you know, next Other steps and everything. I mean, we don't want we don't like talking about tanking. We don't want to obviously tank, especially because we're playing a division rival we hate. But um, there's a lot of good things that can happen if we actually, you know, we don't we don't want Philly to make the playoffs. That's that's an important thing. I think we can both agree on. Um, but if we lose, there's not there's a lot of positive things come out of it as well. I guess what I'm trying to say, you know, Philly has multiple draft picks that could be in the you know in the top ten. You know, we obviously our draft picks are what they are. Um, what, what, do you, what do you how do you feel going to this game as a fan? Forget the show for anything. We want to beat Philly, right? We hate those fuckers. I, I, I fully acknowledge the benefit of losing the next three games and what it does for us where we are now at a point where you can say this is a this is a genuine, obvious checkpoint of a new beginning, even if it's not a total beginning because you're keeping your head coach or whatever. But you're getting a new GM. This is the mark of a new beginning, 2022. 
So these picks in the draft coming up are very vital. I mean, we talk all the time, and we're about to. We talk all the time about 2018 and that second overall pick and how important that was and what that may have set back or what how it may have advanced and, and all that stuff. It's important. So I, I fully, fully understand, and I agree with all of you that are saying, just lose, just lose out. I get it. I'm with you. I'm there. High five, okay? I can't do it. Not for this game. I can't. Sports if I'm watching the... The Giants versus the Eagles, I cannot do it. I, f- fine. Chicago, fine. Washington, fine. I don't care about those games. I do not want Philly making the playoffs. I want to. I want them to lose to us. Shitty old us. I want all of last year's Week 17 to blow up in their face. I want them to miss the playoffs because they screwed up and couldn't beat the New York Giants. That's what I want. I don't. Ca- I don't even want us to be good when we do it. I want them to lose to a bad New York Giants team, miss the playoffs, and then whatever else. Okay, I'm fine with that. But during the game, I'm going to be legitimately pissed off for at least an hour after the game if we lose this game. I just I cannot separate it. And we've talked about this ad nauseum with you know our you know what's who's the bigger rival, Cowboys or Eagles? For me personally, it's Eagles. I live amongst these people. I I lived further out west, closer to Pennsylvania. I'm surrounded by them. And it's infuriating. Um, so I, I look. You can call me an idiot or short-sighted. I mean, anybody, not just you. I mean, I mean people can. That's fine. I get it. Sports, um, sports are more emotion than they are analytic. And as much as the game is headed towards analytics and how it's being executed and coached, everything. Why we're fans is because of our emotions. It's it's the and that's why sports is so great and why some things you know. Why am I not watching a bowl game on? December 20th, I just don't care. I don't care if North Texas State beats some other team. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't prove anything. I don't know. I don't care. But teams like the Giants, you care about. They're your, you're a fan. You are, you know, we've invested, I've invested 40 years of my life on this friggin' team. And yes, it's not that easy just to turn it off and say, tank. I'll take tank as my consolation prize. I'll take the higher draft picks. But in a, right, in a game like this against you see those pricks in, in green, you hear that stupid song and you see those dumb cheese heads, you want not, to be not in green, not in green. They're wearing their all blacks. You know that Philly color. Oh, uh, that's fresh. Matches the it. black alternate, by the way, is my most old man yells at crap yells at cloud like moment it, for the NFL. I cannot it matches, stand it matches their soul, the color black. It almost sounds badass. I, I don't even want to give him that. I mean, it. it yeah. I, I mean, it, black is not a Philly color. I mean, unless you're unless you're Oakland or Pittsburgh or Baltimore or New Orleans, I, I don't want to see your black alternates. Arizona, why do you have black alternates? I hate Cause, it. Because your 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 cardinal is outlined in black. That makes black your alternate color. Stupid. <laughs> it's funny, you know, like going back to Florida for a second. The one thing that really gets the alumni riled up oh yeah they don't want to see you know you can change the uniform around you can have silly alternative ones no black nobody wants black i don't care how fresh it is with the kids nobody wants it it's not our colors and yeah it's not a why black why not why not purple why not, i mean like at a certain point like it, just why black it's not your alternate color it's it's yeah. not NWA why wear any color if you're just gonna pick a random ago, one nobody, nobody cares anymore let's move on yeah Anyway, speaking of moving on, um, so another big piece of news is a, a two-part article called The Autopsy came out this week. Um, there were some 
Giants ex-scouts interviewed and they gave uh, some very interesting perspectives on the inner workings of the organization, specifically over the last four to five years. It stretches back only to 2017, I think, um, with with a little bit of here and there from prior to that, but not not a whole lot. And let, um, let's set, let's set the stage as we go. That goes before the Dave Gettleman regime started. Yeah, so yeah, it's important um, important thing to talk about. So I mean, look, I'm just going to set this up. This is an interesting. Perspective. I mean, you have guys with a very unique and insider exclusive look, um, but they're also ex-employees. And I came into this like, first of all, just from an interesting. I find this stuff very fascinating because you have to remember that, like, think about your current job and the and the day to day bullshit you do when you when you're just when you're working and you're working with your colleagues, but just how things go down, how your meetings go down, how your supervisors talk to each other. I mean, I don't know about you and and what you do but you're involved a lot with supervisors i'm in supervisors meetings at my job and and it's kind of funny how things roll out to my staff but how things actually go down in the meeting so just from uh, from the love of football and the love of this organization and just all the interesting things that go into the massive work that is the draft room and the scouting department that's so much work i just wanted to read just to read um i was disappointed Go, go ahead, go ahead. It's something that the average fan really has no idea what type of organizations are built with these teams. You know, the it's not the GM doesn't just watch a bunch of film and on draft day decide. It's not the movie draft day. I mean, oh, there thank is, God, there are so many layers of support between. You know, not even just the scouts. It's how is the information collected how is the information dissected how is the information stored how is it retrieved how is it prepared all of these different things that it's really no different than any other large organization it just happens to be that the you know instead of making widgets it's the game is the product so it, it's really something and really fascinating to, to pull the curtain back and see what really goes on because you really don't get that much it, the nfl like every other league and uh, teams very insular. You don't really get a, a peek behind oh, it yeah. to see what actually goes on. So when you get something like this, yeah, you take a little bit of a grain of salt from what the source is, but you're getting an interesting picture of what's going on. Absolutely, yeah. So I, I was I was interested to read it, even if this was a random stretch of time in the Giants organization. If this was an ex scout from 2001 to 2005, I'd want to read it. You know, whatever. I was disappointed though. I mean, a lot of this read like uh an ex-employee it read like an ex-employee who did not like the last couple of years of his job and and so I, I i mean i didn't find this to be a very bombshell piece some other people did i, I i'll just kind of briefly go over some of the things and it's a long article so we're just going to kind of wrap with this but the main thing right from the get-go is that the article sets up and acknowledges that the losing stretches for nine out of ten seasons but the entire article itself focused solely on the last four years as if that's where, that's why the Giants are where they are. The Giants are where they are because the rebuild filled, failed. But you can't skip over the fact that these scouts worked for the previous regime that necessitated an entire rebuild. That part is almost entirely left out. I mean, the only times it's mentioned is mentioned in the way where from 2014 or 2015 on – they felt that 
ownership was holding on to Eli Manning for too long. And I, I disagree because 2014-2015, I think you still had a very good Eli Manning playing. 2014 through 2016, I think, is when you started to see the, the noticeable dip in his play. And that was the year that they actually went to the playoffs. So that was the start of the dip for me was 2016. We can well, argue did, and split hairs, but I mean, that's what we're dealing with here. I mean, our, in our discussion in, in the last episode, we talked about, or maybe we just did it through Twitter, we discussed how they did, you know, they were drafting quarterbacks in the fifth, sixth round, you know, yeah, main, mainly just to have is like insurance in case he goes down or to trade off if they show up at all and, you know, taper anything. But right. 2014, you're right. That was still, if it's not peak Eli, it's still very serviceable Eli. It's you know, I had no doubts about Eli for 2014. Right. The run, yeah. when they, what year was it, 2018? 18 11. when they did oh. all the big free the, the big free agent push 2017 2017 that's when you can have make a legitimate case of that was know, a mistake we, yep what are we doing here i mean mm-hmm. even if even if we all this money we spent this is the window is getting smaller and getting smaller quickly uh, I mean, and just to exemplify this point, this is a direct quote. Asked when exactly the ship started to sink, another ex-scout took a deep breath and chuckles. Where do you begin? But then he just launched into Dave Gettleman. How was that the beginning? I mean, they already fired your head coach in Ben McAdoo, and your draft guy in Mark Ross, and your GM in Jerry Reese. So how was that the beginning? Dave Gettleman is the beginning. The article even references Dave Gettleman's annoying New York accent. If there's one thing you learn about Dave Gettleman the moment he opens his mouth is that he does not have a New York accent. He's a child. Yeah. I don't know what that's about. Whatever. Um, You know, there's whole sections about how Dave Gettleman is an asshole and how he has a sign on his desk that assholes need not apply, but he's the biggest asshole in the building. I don't care about that. Most bosses in the world are pricks. Most of them are not nice guys. Most successful people are not nice guys. That's how they get to be where they are. They don't worry about feelings. They worry about doing their job. I'm not saying he has to be an asshole. I'm not saying it's a necessary trait, and I get that it sucks working for an asshole. Um, But I'm not going to – I don't care. Define what being an asshole really means. Oh, just – Is it like if I see you in the hallway, he refuses to acknowledge me or if he doesn't listen to what I say in a meeting? I mean those are different levels of what an asshole is. I think it's more nonspecific. His his press conferences are actually who he is I think is what it is. Like so that that degrading kind of answer to questions and uh, like know-it-all attitude is also explored in the workplace among staff, which I understand. That's annoying, right? When your boss always has a sarcastic-ass answer, that's frustrating. I get it. But also, I don't care. Unless that interferes with smart staff wanting to come here, players wanting to play here, agents wanting to get their players here, which we already knew was an issue with him coming from Carolina. That's not news. I don't need also, to, that, that I don't learn anything out. from that. It also didn't really pan out either. Not really, I mean, no. I mean, was there has there ever been since Gettleman's been here a free agent that we wanted to get that we didn't get and they cited I didn't want to be here as a reason? I, I don't think so. I mean, I it may so. have happened, but I haven't heard it. No. Um, the thing about Gettleman, Grump, is that Gettleman wasn't just some guy they hired and this was his first job ever and he just turned out. He wasn't Matt Millen who came in obviously didn't know what he was doing and led you know the, the Lions to a winless season. This is a guy who had a track record. I mean, like him or not, like his attitude or not, his accent, the way he handled free agents, blah, blah, blah. Carolina was a pretty decent team. 
Now they went to the, the conference championship game with him. You know, it, they went to the Super Bowl with him. Um, they went to the Super Bowl right after they fired him. Okay, but it was basically the team that he built. Essentially. So, so my point is, okay, is he a Hall of Fame GM? No. But is he Matt Millen? No. So he has a track record that he came here that, you know, you don't all of a sudden forget what you're doing and it just doesn't work. There's extenuating circumstances that are involved with it too. And the Giants during his regime, you know, situations inside the building and outside out of his control were definite headwinds for uh, preventing him from being successful. I'm actually going to check that. It was the 2015 Panthers that went to the Super Bowl and lost. He was definitely the GM during that time. Okay, so that doesn't – people just like to, to forget that. They like to remember the, you know, freezing out free agents and not re-signing and, and all that stuff. They forget about what he actually did mm-hmm. was build this team to be a Super Bowl team. Yeah, and like the three main people that, that they always cite as being the guys who had a big issue with him were D'Angelo Williams who had – I think like one and a half years in Pittsburgh where he was productive after leaving Carolina. Steve Smith, who I think had two years in Baltimore of being productive before retiring. And Josh Norman, who took a boatload of money at Washington and has been average as a corner. So like all three of those moves were not backbreaking for the Panthers. Well, here's the thing too is like Bill Belichick gets every accolade in the world for not overspending for guys and signing them to the next contract when they're done. He's ruthless. He cuts bait at the right time. But for some reason, Gettleman's a dick because he does it. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't I don't think anyone goes out there and says that Bill Belichick is a great guy. To, he's a winner is what it is. And you put up with being an asshole. You put up with having a boss who's an asshole because he's a winner. It's fine that you're like, this dude's an asshole and we're not winning. That's fair. I get that. But you can't. You can't hire an asshole and then be like, this guy's an asshole. Like, this was not news. And he also, it's not for nothing. He, he was with the organization before he went to Carolina. It's not like he's came back here. Like, we knew who he was. Right. Exactly. All of the people in the building. It's very, very silly to me. And just to, to underscore, like, why this feels a lot more like a, an ex-employee not having a good time. These are scouts. There's a very large section of the article that has a whole lot to do with how they switch grading systems. And switched to how the scouting report. The scouting report now couldn't be freeform. It had to be a standard thing. I want positives. I want negatives. I want the backstory here. I mean, so he told you how to do your job more efficiently so that he could read the – I have no issues with changing the grading system for a team that could not draft for shit for 10 years before he got here. And – changing the the scouting report so that he could get the scouting department in order and organized and moving in a direction. I have no issues with any of that. Grump, what has been our biggest gripe with this organization? What's the theme of this show this past year? That I don't know. This, this, is an organization, <laughs> this is an organization that is in the past. It's not a modern team. They don't have a modern offense. They are too conservative in nature. This is another example of that. And this is an attempt by the general manager to bring this team into the 21st century. We don't evaluate the way we used to. I mean, you watch old movies of like baseball scouts where some 90-year-old guy watches some kid on a little league field and he's writing, you know, looks good in a uniform. And that's yeah. they sign him for 500 bucks. It's not the way it works anymore. It's like yeah. that opening scene of Moneyball where he's just exactly. rejecting all the dumb things that they say. Yeah, Bad I girlfriend, mean, you know, all the silly things they evaluate. Exactly. So to me, in my mind, you, you, you nailed it on the head. 
this is that scene in Moneyball. You had a bunch of guys who've been with the organization who have job security because the mayors and this team are very loyal. They don't fire guys. And they feel a little too entitled in they, their job. They got cut out, yeah. Yeah, and a new guy comes in, you know, a relative outsider, not someone who's has been with the organization, and is trying to make this a 21st century team. Want to be on the same footing as other teams the way they evaluate talent. And he's going to be ass-chapped about it. So, of course, he's going to have negative comments about this. Yeah, I mean, my, my note here is sticking with a failing system just because it worked 20 years ago sounds a whole lot alike to the Twitter comments that I've read about Jason Garrett's offense. So, I mean, you, you can't have it both ways there. I, there look, I'm not going to say this article is without some legitimate gripes, but it's all gripes we already know. Like, having Chris Mara and Tim McDonald in senior positions do pose legitimate nepotism issues. They are, they're not scouts, those guys. They don't have a scouting background. They just grew up in a football family. And they got this job because... Their brother and, owns a team, and before that, their dad owned the team, and before that, his dad owned the team. That's it. Be, so I get it. There may be some it. value in that. There may be some value. Sure. But, you know, they're more invested than Dave Gettleman or anyone ever be. It's, it's but people have been DNA. complaining about this for years anyway. But, this isn't but, news. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, but the, the, just because who your name is, you should have to be lucky to be you know, related to this person. Does that mean you're qualified for the position that you hold? The Peter Principle doesn't work, you know, just because, you you know, you might start off as a ticket taker or working at this position. At some point, you you're based on your your merits and your accomplishments. There's nothing yeah. that, that tells me that this guy is accomplished and done what he's done to be up at that level other than his last name. Yeah, exactly. And the perception just looks bad, too. It absolutely does, especially since your scouting department is failing. You know, if if you hired your brother and they're doing well, I'm not going to complain about it. I assume that he has some acumen of at least management to get things in order to make things work. If it's not working, I'm absolutely going to start at the top and point at the guy in charge and say, is this guy only in charge because you share a last name? That's fair. I understand that. There's there's a whole bunch of splitting hairs over the loyalty to Manning and when, when it started. They can't seem the, – the two scouts can't seem to agree over whether it was earlier or later than that. But they certainly have no problem – placing the failings of 2015 and on on Eli Manning as opposed to the fact that you know throughout that whole time we didn't have a show so I have nothing to back this up but I mean we the offensive line has been a complaint since 2011 2012 so I mean we're really been, gonna we're gonna put the blame on Eli Manning that it's never been fully, it's, it's been never fully built out there's been pieces there's been half-hearted attempts there's been top heavy attempts we have used top five picks on the offensive line, but not consistent enough, you know, and again, whether it's they decide to fortify other positions, if they wanted to go after the, you know, the Saquon Barkley's of the world, if they, you know, for this, that, and the other reasons, they never made the all in commitment to protect Eli Manning, Daniel Jones, you name it. And mm-hmm. that is still a work in process. And until I see it, I'm not going to believe it. Whether for some crazy reason, Gettleman's back or the next GM comes in until I see a sustained commitment to overhauling this offensive line. Doesn't have to happen in one year either. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, the clock is starting to tick very quick, faster than you know it on Andrew Thomas. Because sure. At some point, you have to start thinking about, you know, his fifth year option and resign. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's going to be a massive one. So it's not like you have Andrew Thomas for the next 13 years. Decisions have to be made 
relatively quickly. And it always that will prolong the rebuild. And the longer you push, hold off on doing things, the more you get to worry about. So it all fits in. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna rifle through a lot of the major points here that I think are interesting, and I'm gonna hit them all in a row, and because it's all about uh, the draft and guys that were taken, and I'll I'll get your collective responses. It's it's about three or four things. The first is that. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff about Saquon Barkley and when he was drafted, and that's all well documented. You know, we have problems with that. The, the thing that was interesting is that they had equal grades in Dave Gettleman's new grading system between defensive end Bradley Chubb, yes, Bradley Chubb and um, Saquon Barkley, and I believe Quentin Nelson was also a very close grade to the to them, and then magically. Like, at the 11th hour, apparently, Saquon Barkley's grade moved up just enough of a tick to be above Bradley Chubb. Now, that's a fair criticism of not sticking to your new grading system, and I I think that's a fair concern. However, the article also acknowledges that a lot of people at the top liked Saquon Barkley also and fell in love with his, you know, traits. And this is not squarely a Dave Gettleman you know, thing here. I mean, there was a lot of people in the room that agreed with it. They they say it right in the article, but also in general. And I, I'm not saying that Saquon Barkley is my guy, but I have no problem with if you have equal grades on players, but one of them is your guy. Just get your guy. You believe in him? Go with your gut. They're equal. Why would you not go with that? I because I think there's another component of this that may not be quantifiable or they may have a qualify is like importance of a position. Mm-hmm. If all all things, sure. all things considered equal, what is a more important position on the team? Is running back as opposed to defensive end, as opposed to left tackle? That's so, fair. I'm, I'm just saying as far as the grading system issue goes, where at the last minute he changed, apparently changed the grading to make Barkley the higher graded prospect to have him be picked. Squarely on that, I'm just going to say if there is a guy who is your guy, you don't need to do that. Just pick your guy. Because, again, if it's just one tick that we're talking about where he's higher graded, you're still taking in that positional value. Well, like right? you kind of alluded to it, was it his guy or somebody else's guy? I mean, remember. Yeah, I mean, I get it. It's just, we're, we're talking, I don't know. We're talking post-Beckham, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're, yeah, but They had that first season together. And he, he had just gotten the big contract, so. Right, but I mean, I think that they were – they like the idea of Beckham being a star, right? Right. I think I agree with where you're going. And Barkley was being was kind of groomed to be a, a more clean star. Right. A, a transcendent star than just what he does on the football field. Like they really wanted him to become the face of the franchise where you may not get that from a left tackle or even a defensive end. Right. So I, I think, get that. I think the reasoning why maybe the Maras got in and gotten his ear to maybe change that grade might have been factors beyond just what goes on on the football field which is a fair criticism Mm -hmm. to being too concerned about the face of your organization not concerned enough about your record i'm just going to throw in a couple other things here about popular picks here um or or whatever um deandre baker was actually picked by pat Shermer. uh dave gettleman was not in on deandre baker his Work ethic, by the way, I'm going to underscore this again. His red flags, again, all work ethic related. No legal things were overturned. This article does not add anything further into that. Just work ethic issues, which is fine. Um, 
Pat Shermer was okay with the work ethic issues, said he would kick him in the ass, get him working. It obviously didn't work, but that was a Pat Shermer insistence. So you have a, a, a GM that is trying to work with his head coach to get the guy that he wants. Again, not a problem I have with a GM. Well, first of all, Urban Meyer proved you can't kick guys in the ass because it's good point. not good. And good point. Uh, second, second, literally can't kick him. Um, second thing is if Dave Gettleman's such an asshole and is just doing things his way or the highway, he deferred on the biggest decision you probably could make your first round or your, your high draft picks to what the head coach wanted. So that kind of no, 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 no. He traded a second. He got in there to get that. So that's what I mean. That's my point. It's like yeah. That doesn't sound like a coach and such an uh, GM is such an asshole that it's my way or forget it. He was yeah. It sounds like to, he's trying to help. Yeah, listen, listening to is the coaching staff who he's trying to service and support above and beyond by training to get him. So um, yeah, and, and uh, as a side note, he does not get full absolution from this because he also hired Pat Shermer. So whatever. But I, I mean, it's it's important detail, and I thought it was an interesting detail. I would not have figured that. Would you? Did that surprise you? Yes, it did. Um, the other thing that surprised me is that it was Jason Garrett endorsing Andrew Thomas, slamming the table for him. There was a gen- genuine um, split decision between the four tackles in the war room. I think that was probably the case for every team in the league, split decision, because they all were very close. Um, but this article paints it in a very negative way just because Tristan Wirfs and Antoine Winfield played on Tampa Bay and they won a Super Bowl. Suddenly... That means Andrew Thomas is a bad pick. I, I don't agree with that at all. Andrew Thomas might be the best player on our offense. And not for nothing, but Jason Garrett's endorsement of Andrew Thomas might be the first thing in history that I've liked about Jason Garrett at all. <laughs> well, I mean, again, the four the four offensive linemen were so closely bunched in the evaluations. You could have gone through 32 teams and had, you know, 11 different combinations of how they should have been drafted. So you're splitting hairs a little bit on it and to say, well— you know, and also Andrew Thomas is not a bust. Not Thomas, at all. He's very good. Yeah. Why, he why could. He, I mean, you can make a case that he's almost playing at a Pro Bowl level. If he didn't miss several yeah. games this year, I think he. We might be discussing the fact that he almost made the Pro Bowl or is a Pro Bowl alternate or something like I mean, that. If he was headed down the Eric Flowers route, okay, fine. Fair, that's, that's a, fair, that's a fine yeah. Discussion, but he's doing a pretty darn good job on his own after missing time and again with you know last he's year. He's still got an ankle. He's still in the injury report with an ankle injury. Last year impacted everybody for you know for a rookie to go in there and play. So some people, you know, different organizations handle it in different ways, and that's another debate for another time. But it's silly. I mean, again, you're splitting hairs in who they picked. You're kind of splitting hairs on their own development. You know, Tampa Bay went to a Super Bowl. They had Tom Brady and <laughs> and Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles and exactly. you know <laughs> and the Pied Piper effect of having Tom Brady meaning you can get free agents who will come probably below market value. Because they want to play with Tom Brady, and we didn't need a right tackle, so don't throw Tristan Wirfs in my face. Right, exactly. So yeah, I mean, I, I just, I mean, I, that to me is one of those things where I stand by that draft class and and selecting Xavier McKinney in the second round, and I stand by selecting Andrew Thomas. Andrew Thomas was my pick. That was who I was praying for. My girlfriend was in the room on draft night. Who she shit her pants because I stood up and started screaming. I was so happy. I have no problems with Andrew Thomas. I don't know. That's that, there's more. Uh, it's it's an interesting read because it does. The, the New York Giants are not in the position they're in because of the first couple of picks in that draft. No, they're, they're in this position because. because uh, oh, I'll I'll say it flatly the way I believe it. They're in this position because they've had a 
they've stuck with guys who had a failed philosophy because they won Super Bowls with with rosters that they somewhat inherited. Now, they weren't complete buffoons. They were able to bring in some talent, but they mostly missed, specifically in the draft. They were actually pretty okay with dealing with the cap for most of the time that they were here and bringing in free agents and signing fair deals. They were pretty okay with that. Until the end there, they really tried to win. Their, their, their problem is they are where they are still is because they just haven't they, they they whiffed on Dave. It just it didn't work. It didn't work. The GM made enough mistakes to not pull them out of the trenches. They just didn't. They had a bad head coach hire with Pat Shermer. I don't think he was going to win anything with them. I was not thrilled about Dave Gettleman getting here. It, it's not. They're not here now because of mis, like mistakes made four years they, ago. They're here now as a culmination of the last ten years easily. More than yeah. that, really. They they never committed fully to a rebuild. They thought they could still sort of win Correct. while trying to rebuild on the fly at the same time. It doesn't work. They didn't – it feels like the Band-Aid's been completely ripped off three or four times, but it never really has been. I mean, you know, even even this year, I mean, we, we thought the rebuild really started that day that Daniel Jones took over. But there was still so much work to be done. You know, some of these moves they made in this past year is because, well – an owner said, I think this team could be a playoff team. People just interpreted all that as like they're ready to win now and they're trying to win now. And I think that philosophy permeated in the building. And it's just like they you have to let things be patient and grow organically, not force it. And I think this team tries to have it both ways too often. And you end up just you know, getting stuck in the mud. It's Christmas Eve, and we are running a little long. So hit me with your prediction for Philadelphia and the Giants, and we will move on to more conversation on Monday night for a Tuesday episode. Uh, we're going to get killed. I, if if uh, from it's the black uniforms, right? That's what does it. The black uniforms are a big reason. I think uh, if Jake Fromm is the starting quarterback, that's another big reason. Um, I just can't see, you know, this – this offense isn't moving. It's it, it's stuck. There's a lot of problems yeah. why it's stuck. I don't think bringing in a third-string quarterback who still can't possibly know the full playbook or be given the full playbook will change any of that. And Philly's got something to play for. They'll be at home. I know they have a short week with the crazy week last week, but oh, uh, boo-hoo. I, I, They're playing us. <laughs> I, just, I, I just don't. That, but still, you, there's recovery time. There's you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they played on Tuesday. That's a that's a difference. Uh, oh they, yes, uh, I'm just saying. I wouldn't whine about it if I were them. Oh no 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 no. Um, they will beat us twenty four three. I have us at twenty seven thirteen. I actually think that the defense scores a touchdown in this game. Um, I, you know, we saw Jalen Hurts do a lot of stupid stuff last time we played them. I think the defense played very well in general last time we played them. I think that's not going to take too much of a dip, especially if Mylotta can't play at left tackle. Um, you know, if Hurts is in any way hampered from for running, I think we're in an okay spot. Um, okay spot, not great because I don't think we're going to have a Dory Jackson. But nevertheless, I do think that the defense either gives us a short enough field for the offense to score a touchdown or scores a touchdown flat out, and that's pretty much it for us. I have us losing 27-13. That's going to do it for us, so I hope you guys all have the happiest and safest of holidays. 
and that you enjoy whatever you get to see on Sunday and that we get to talk about on Monday for an episode on Tuesday. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at football underscore grump, at the cranky fan, at just giants pod, and watch this on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, you name it, and also watch it on YouTube. We'll catch you guys next time. Go Giants. Go Giants.